Welcome to a very special edition of Tunnel Vision. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, joined live alongside Shotgun Spratling, way back on the East Coast, and then right over there, Chris Trevino. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, Shotgun SPR, or Chris N. Trevino. You can follow me at Inside Troy. And this is our Tunnel Vision show, our live show. We haven't done one for a while. We recapped uh, spring football, but it's been such a huge weekend for USC Athletics. We got a little text thread going. Shotgun's like, we should probably do a show. Like, <laughs> Probably should do a show. Chris is like, hey, doesn't really like doing shows, but he came into the studio to do the show because we got to talk about all this fun stuff. If you're watching us, we are live on Facebook, which is cool. We are live on YouTube. We are live on Twitter on our over the at USC football handles. If you want to watch on any of those platforms and the replays will be up there as well. If your comments are coming up on YouTube or Facebook, I got them in front of me, so I'll be able to put them up on the screen and uh and put him up there like we have low Mark. Mark is in the chat uh, for our YouTube. He says, hello, Ryan, Chris, and Shotgun. So I'll be able to do stuff like that, put them up on the screen. We're also going to take some live calls today. So you can call us 512-4-TUNNEL. No call screen or anything today, so I'll just pull it up. If you, if you call in, I will uh, try to bump you up there and put you up on the screen. Uh, but, yeah, I just want to welcome in the guys. We haven't done one of these shows for a little while. Shotgun, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. It's been a been a, a interesting weekend for USC. I'm calling it a championship slash commit weekend. A lot of uh, big things going on around campus. I've been all over the place. Uh, you know, I was in Lehigh when I got the LeBron James news. Um, I was uh, out in Delaware today. So I've been in three or four different states uh, this weekend. So bouncing all over the place. Uh, you know, and, and you know, catching as much USC action as well on my phone as I'm driving and all that. So well, it's been a, it's been a fun weekend for sure. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Chris? What are you doing? We, we pulled you out of your slumber. Yeah, I was kind of shifting <laughs> down because I'm going back home to Maryland for a wedding this week. So, you know, I'm just kind of shifting down a little bit. But I had to come in. You know, a lot of things happening. It's my fault because I'm going on vacation. Decided to just, <laughs> you know, uh, spiral into a bunch of commitments and news for this weekend. So it was only a, a matter of time for something like that happen. And, yeah, I'm doing it for... For the fans who want to hear us talk about all these great things that have happened this weekend. There have been a lot. And I'm putting some of the comments and stuff up on the screen. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate you uh, wherever you're watching. So thank you very much. If you're like on our YouTube channel, please like and subscribe it there. You can also like us over on the Facebook page and follow us any of our Twitter accounts. Uh, any way you can interact with us. And of course, the mothership is uscfootball.com. That's where all the content that we put up there. And there's been a ton of content this week, um, I, you know, I, I watched the women's beach volleyball team when their third straight, their three-peat national championship this morning. Last year, I had Dane Blanton on, the head coach on Tunnel Vision, so I'll probably have to get him on again. The women's lacrosse team won the Pac-12 championship. You got Bronny James, LeBron James' son, commits to USC. 
Uh, a couple big commitments. Uh, one of them, a transfer from Alabama to Brothers and the number one safety in the country for the class of 2025. We got to get into all of that. USC baseball was doing well. They had a little slide, and then they keep bounced back with a, uh, a series over a win over a ranked team in Oregon this weekend. So we got to get to all that fun stuff. But Shaka's lighting up. I'm going to talk about baseball and uh, and, and basketball. <laughs> I got to watch the volleyball this morning and stuff too. Uh, where where do you guys think we should start? You want to go with like LeBron? You want to go Bronny James? LeBron first? James. Can we start. Do we ever start with basketball? We Ryan, I don't know if you know this. I don't, no yeah. one was supposed to tell you, but we did an emergency podcast about basketball last I, night. I, so. I saw that. I tried to believe it didn't work. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, big ups to, to Adam, our, our intern uh, that helped us out during the basketball season for jumping on, uh, you know, in the midst of the, all the finals and stuff that are going on for USC students. And on a Saturday night, decided to take a little time out. But yeah, he big news for USC. So, yeah, so make sure you go check that out because we're this show, we put, we simulcast or whatever. This is a live video show, but we put it on our Peristyle podcast, uh, podcast channel, tons of content going up there. Chris does his two star, you know, composite recruits podcast. I well, call it something different every time we put, you know, shows with Harvey Hyde, me and Chris, uh, composite two star recruits. It's an unserious show. So it doesn't matter what it could call. Yeah. It. And then shoddy has been doing uh baseball podcast, which have been great. And then this is an emergency basketball podcast. So if you want to, if you want to talk about, oh, by the way, shout out to George who just came in from South Africa and he's watching this. So thanks, George. Uh, but yeah, Shadi, the floor is yours if you want to talk a little brawny. I mean, it's huge news. Uh, and just because of the impact it's going to have around the program. Now, as far as a player, he will have an impact on the team as well. Um, and I think he fits in really well. And you can listen to us get really in depth on how he fits in and where he fits in. Is he a one and done talent? All those things if you listen to the emergency podcast. But just, in general, I think the biggest thing is it's going to impact the program. This has been a program that has been winning 20 games consistently under Andy Enfield the last four or five years, been going to the NCAA tournament pretty consistently, been getting some big-name recruits, but the biggest recruit coming in prior to this year, Evan Mobley, no one got to watch in the arena. And now USC is going to have the number one player in the country, number two in our final rankings. I'm still calling him number one. He's the composite number one, Isaiah Collier. The point guard is probably going to be a one-and-done talent. And then now you have Bronny, so everyone's going to be interested in seeing how this team kind of plays out and how it works, and they bring back Boogie Ellis. So that's going to be a dynamic backcourt. You've got Kobe Johnson. It's going to be a lockdown defender. you got Josh Morgan and Vince Uichuku down low, uh, you know, potential you know twin towers that can block shots. Um, so you can do some different things with the lineups as well, and I think Vince is going to take a big step forward. But everyone's going to want to know about Bronny James. So it's just going to bring all that extra attention around this team. So, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, all right, is it going to be a packed Galen Center? How much interest is there going to be in this basketball program that should have had, you know, more fan, uh, fan support in the last few years just because of what they've done on the court? Now you've got an extra reason to go support them. Uh, so it's really fun for, for me, you know, knowing that coaching staff and how much you know effort they put in and some of the recruits they brought in and you know, still not being able to get that traction of, of the fan support and you know, packing Galen Center because it's such a great venue when that place is packed. You know, when you see the UCLA games and you know the Arizona games most of the time, you know, when it's a packed house, it's it's so much fun. And I'm really looking forward to that next year. You know, I, I've already got my kind of my schedule lined up for football. Now I'm starting to line up some of the basketball games. I don't know if Ryan knows about this or not, about, you know, make some trips out to see, Wait, you know, see the basketball team. Yeah, well, it's going to happen, Ryan. It, it, just get ready to, for that bill. Just let it know. Yeah, we, I mean, 
the question, I mean, it's great, uh, obviously, to get a guy like that. Uh, big name, you know, five-star recruit, and obviously just some of that celebrity cachet. Um, you know, USC being in Los Angeles, there's something that comes with that. And they're, you know, if you want to get an advantage on over school, other schools, it's it's different being a college town versus being in a professional town. And then you had the celebrity aspect to it, just having – you know, there's all oh, like uh, Kobe Bryant's daughter goes to USC, like all these people, you know, the actors and acting, all this stuff. But having like a sports, you know, the, the all time leading scorer in the NBA, his kid is going to your school. I mean, you know, we'll see how good of a player he is. I don't know. I haven't watched too much tape or anything of him. But um, I mean, that, that can't do anything but help, obviously. Yeah. And, and I think that celebrity and there's been times when you've seen, you know, Nick Young comes around, he's dating Iggy Azalea and they're on the sideline. You know, you have basketball players that show up, NBA players and stuff like that. Uh, you, you have Ice Cube's son, O'Shea Jackson, stops by for games and stuff. So there's been that celebrity occasionally. But, you, you know, you see the Lakers when they're going, all the celebs that come out. And I feel like this, you know, I think basketball in L.A., just has a bigger following than necessarily we've seen at USC. So I think that there will be celebrities that want to come out and just have that, you know, that interaction with USC, which is only going to help. Uh, Ryan, you know, we're talking about, you know, Kobe's uh, daughter is going to be at USC. You got LeBron's son at USC. Ryan, I don't know if you remember the show Weird Science that was on USA, not the movie, but the, the TV show. Uh, the, the, the blonde that was the, the main character in it, you know, uh, her daughter's on the women's basketball team. You know, wow. she, she doesn't play much, but, you know, just another, you know, famous, you know, there's all kind always famous children uh, or children of famous people, you know, dating. You can go back to, uh, you know, full house mom, uh, you know, go, go there. Yeah. Uh, and Becky's uh, daughter. Uh, but, you know, so there's all kinds of famous people. But now when LeBron walks in the, the Galen Center, it's, it's a little bit different. It's not like, yeah. oh, it's just somebody's kids here. Um, you know, and everybody wants to see LeBron. Everybody flocks to LeBron. Just, you know, look when he went to the Drew League. You know, when he went to play in that, the, you know, just the line around the building. Because crazy, yeah. people heard a couple hours before that LeBron may play in it. I think you're going to get some of that for USC. And I think that's awesome for this program that really deserves that kind of attention with the, the consistency they've had recently. And now – there's also pressure. There's pressure that comes with having Isaiah Collier, the top player in the country. There's pressure with having Bronny. Okay, what can he do? Does he fit in? There's going to be a lot of haters. They're going to say, you know, he's, he's not very good or whatever. I think he fits in really well for this program um, and, you know, can give them what they've been missing, which is some shooting. You know, he, he's been shown that he can be a knockdown shooter. He did that in the McDonald's All-American game. You know, and he is a guy that plays on both ends. He plays defense. And when you have guys that are willing to play defense – you're going to be in every single game. So I think it's a really good fit for the team as well as, you know, the the impact it's going to have around the the aura of the team and just adding another celebrity on yeah. campus. I mean, you're going to have – I asked Adam about this, and you guys got to check out his answer to this. But I said, hey, you could be in class with maybe the Heisman Trophy winner, <laughs> maybe the number one player in the, in the boys basketball in the country and high, for coming out of the high school ranks, maybe the number one girls basketball player in the, in the country coming out of the high school ranks, or maybe LeBron James's son, or maybe <laughs> Cobra Bryant's daughter. Like, there's just all these, you know, the, the, it's a good time to be a student at USC, you know, and making friends with, you know, people around you. And that's, you know, we always talk about the USC degree and when in recruiting and stuff, and, you know, it's about the connections you can make. It's not just about, hey, that CEO that you can make. Well, it's it's about this famous celebrity and, you know, you're getting to hang out with them and that type of thing and, you know, who you could become friends with and all those type of things. USC is just – it's very unique in that regard. 
And this just takes it to another level. I think he's the, you know, he's the most notable, most, uh, most public um, high school athlete in the nation. And even though he's super secretive and the family keeps him kind of off guard. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it kind of all plays out and develop. I'm excited uh, about the opportunity to cover it. And, you know, uh, you get a chance to, to be around the atmosphere because this program has deserved that and it hasn't had it. I um, mean, it, it, it you know, feels similar to when Lincoln Riley got hired. I was excited because, hey, people are going to read our stuff now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm selfish. True. I want people to read my stuff. And, you know, if I spend time working on something and now, you know, people that are going to get a chance to with, with basketball stuff as well. Yeah, we had a question from uh, Blackie Chan. Uh, do you think Bronny and LeBron will have any effect on the USC football team in any way? Chris, I, I think you could answer this one probably a little bit better, but I, I think I think you're seeing that Caleb has an impact on everything else around campus. So I don't see why you wouldn't think that Bronny would have a, you know a similar impact just as far as that celebrity status, people paying attention to USC that much more. And the other equation of that is NIL money. Obviously, when you have more attention and a high status celebrity like Bronny James will be, and it, and it obviously has that athletic component to it as well, you can only imagine that it will bring up the NIL stuff with the basketball team and possibly other programs as well as, you know, Caleb like to dish out the NIL love to other teams uh, across campus. So, yeah, I think uh, absolutely it will have have some impact with uh, with other teams, maybe not the football team, just because Caleb is already there and seems to be doing a good job handling all that, but just impacting his own team, USC basketball, men's basketball with NIL stuff. Yeah, I could absolutely see that uh, happening. Yeah. Uh, Danny points out uh, Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf's son pitches on the USC baseball team. I forgot about that. Yeah. Even like, it's just been a thing. And when I was in school, I think the show was Growing Pains and like the younger son was there. You'd like see him at the football game. You're like, oh, I see that dude on TV. That's just been something that's, that's just a USC thing. And when you're talking about the Varsity Blues scandal, yeah, that's like, it's terrible. But in the end of the day, you look at it and it's like, well, people weren't like what the joke was or whatever. Like people aren't paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their kid into Arizona state. They were doing that to USC. And the fact that USC was there with like Stanford and UCLA and Georgetown, all those schools, like these are the schools people are paying money to get into USC sort of in that category. It's just, there's like a cool factor or whatever. And you know, when Alabama's go on these crazy runs and wins tons of football games, it helps admissions. When you get a whole bunch of celebrities and social media people that are just like, you know, those, you know, uh, was it Katie Austin or whatever, like her, like, or whatever. One of the like fitness gurus, like her daughter was Denise Austin's daughter, Katie. Yeah. Denise Austin. Like they have millions of Instagram followers. Like all that stuff helps because you see there's, there's all this attention uh, on your student. Like, Oh, I want to go to school. Like what shotgun said, I want to go to school with those people. So I think it could not Blackie Chan, not just help the football team, but the whole university. I yeah, and Ryan, I think that's I think that's a great point because uh, you talk about the increase in admissions. You see every time that a team you're going to see it at San Diego State, you're going to see it, and maybe even with Miami. Like when you go on a Final Four run um, and it's your first time, you're not a blue blood. Like that ends up pushing admissions higher because you know Florida Atlantic is going to get this uh, because people are going to. And I've already heard this from some people in Florida be like, "Wait, why did I go to this other school when Florida Atlantic was right down the street? Why didn't I pay more attention to them coming out?" Um, so now you're going to see, you know, those high school students that may have overlooked, oh, that's the local school. I don't want to go local where, you know, I'm going to see people I know, but like, oh, look what they could do. I want to be, that looks fun. I'm going to stay home. And then other people that are from outside the area, they look at San Diego State and go, 
oh, it's in San Diego. I gotta start checking this out a little bit more. Look, they, they got great athletics. Like they, you know, the travel. They see the fans traveling really well. They're having a great time, and more people start paying attention to that. So I think you'll see similar with, with that in that regard, where admissions, you know, you get more applications just because it's going to be in the news more. It's going to be, you know, what happened when he announced his commitment yesterday? It was on every ESPN show. It yeah. was on their NBA pregame show, I think. He got a shout out in the middle of the game. You know, from Mark Jackson, LeBron he talked was, about was, it himself in the press conference yeah. afterwards and gave a lot. You know, that was really cool. Yeah, and you know when LeBron is is tweeting uh, or uh, posting Instagram fight on, I think that's really cool too. <laughs> and it honestly, you know, watching that interview, I didn't, didn't see that until after we recorded the uh, the emergency podcast. But that was so cool to see, you know, how how much love he has for his son and how excited he was for the first person in his family to go to college. Like you just see that LeBron. Yeah, I have even more respect for LeBron after that just because he he just does everything right. He's never been in some scandal throughout his entirety. He's in the public. He's the most public figure in the world, basically. Um, and, you know, he just continues to do great things, whether it be, you know, all the kids that he sent into school and stuff, the schools that he started back in his hometown of Akron, all those type things. It just makes you respect him a little bit more, um, you know, whether you're a LeBron fan or not. You know, I, I think, you know, he's been a great person, a great – you know, uh, uh, diplomat for both the NBA and just the United States and uh, sports in the United States. What did you have, Chris? I just had a couple of uh, quick take it or leave it's for shotgun. If, oh. if he wants to play a little right. to take it or leave it. Uh, two of them are very unserious. One is an actual serious question. But first one, shotgun, take it or leave it. We get a Drake game. Uh, Drake, the rapper, that is, not Drake London, appearance in the Galen Center this next season? I'm going to go for a take it. Um, and I think that you, you know, maybe you'll get a double Drake. You know, maybe Drake London will stop by, you know, the former USC basketball player too. Yeah. Uh, next one, take, shotgun, take it or leave it. Are we being unfair to LeBron's first son that is actually at USC, Sierra Wright? <laughs> are we, That's a great are, point. Are we now, overlooking Sierra uh, Wright and being unfair to him? We do have now two of LeBron James' uh, sons at USC. You know, with Sierra Wright having played, Bron- having played basically Bronny uh, in Space Jam Two. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, that's kind of interesting uh, dynamic there. And I'm sure Sierra Wright has met uh, Bronny and whatnot. So maybe he's already got a friend at USC there. Obviously, you got Juju Watkins, the number one uh, female player in the country, going to USC from Sierra Canyon. So there's going to be some connections already there as well. Isaiah Collier, I've been told that Isaiah Collier, for whatever reason, and the, the right word wasn't really out there, but he has been really excited about the potential of playing with Bronny. Now, oh. someone used the word kind of infatuation. They're like, that's way too high. But like, it's just it's come up more than once in conversations that he's excited to play with Bronny. So and maybe that's just because he knows if, if Bronny's there, then more people are going to show up to watch him. I, I don't know. But, you know, if your number one player, the top player in the country is super excited about playing with someone, I think that should tell you a little bit about, uh, you, you know, Bronny's capabilities um, and the fact that, you know, that, you know, they're already going to be meshing when he comes in. They played really well together in the, uh, the McDonald's All-American game as well. Uh, Isaiah Collier's teammate, high school teammate from Wheeler High School in Georgia is coming as well, Aaron Page, That's the recruiting class right now. To answer a couple real quick questions, uh, Sagar asks, is this why Trey White transferred even after a solid freshman year? I don't think so. I think Trey White is his own cat doing his own thing. 
is you know we we talked a little bit about this on the podcast last night too. But th- I think this is going to be his fifth school in five years or sixth school in six years. Um, he's going to committed to Louisville yesterday, so I don't think that was why. Um, and then someone Socrates asked, uh, was Silas Demery Jr., who was committed to USC, a four-star commit, asked to leave because of Bronny? I thought he could have thrived even with Bronny. I would agree with that assessment that I thought he could thrive even with with Bronny. And I don't think he was asked to leave. That's not been the impression I've got. Um, but, you know, I think maybe the Demery family started feeling like, all right, where are those minutes coming from if he comes in when Silas was likely going to get a pretty good chunk of minutes as well? So, uh, you know, I think that that just became a part of the thing. And j- not necessarily that anyone said, hey, if we get rid of Silas, then we can bring in Bronny type of thing. It's just he started seeing the writing on the wall and everyone talking about Bronny James potentially going to USC and decided that he wanted to look somewhere else where he could get more playing time. We also had a question um, from Touchdown SC. Is Bronny a walk-on? Like, people always want to do that. Just because your family has money doesn't mean players want to walk on. Like, there's privileges of being on scholarship. He's going to be on scholarship. Yeah, and they do have a scholarship for him with Silas Demery Jr., um, you know, leaving the class. Now, there were questions of, you know, before Trey White uh, went into the transfer portal and before Silas Demery is like, all right, are there going to be a scholarship? Is there not? How's that going to play out? Um, So there will be a scholarship available. There's been some questions about Aaron Bradshaw as well. I know you guys probably don't know that name, but he's a seven-footer, top five player in the in the nation from Kentucky. I haven't heard anything specific on it. I haven't been able to. I know there's a lot of rumors floating around. I haven't been able to get into anything and you know anyone really confirm that that's a potential. But even if that doesn't happen, you know the the the, the conversation is an interesting one because the conversation is that oh because Bronny um, is with Clutch Sports. You know, they're going to want to put people around him type of thing. And it's not going to be a bad thing that you're going to have LeBron James's the companies he works for, potentially going to help out USC and Bronny. You know, the, the Bronny's already got a couple of NIL deals himself. But, you know, you're going to bring in some extra, you know, potential NIL deals and things like that. And, and similar to what Chris said with Caleb doing the same thing. Um, you know, those extra eyeballs are going to bring those in, those relationships that are already there because of LeBron could bring extra things to USC, whether it be, you know, a player leaving and his representation and that type of thing. I, you know, I haven't got any confirmation, like I said, that Aaron Bradshaw is on the move or that's a real possibility. You know, I heard the rumor as well, but no one has really confirmed that. Yeah. Did you have another take it or leave it? I have one more take it or leave it, which was a real take it or leave it and not a silly one like the other two. Uh, Shotgun, you know, given the Bronny James uh, addition and, you know, whatever may happen, down the line, whether a transfer or Bradshaw or whatever, would you say, take it or leave it, that the minimum expectation for this team is Elite Eight? I'm going to leave that. Right now, the expectation I had in our, we discussed this as well last night in the podcast, was Sweet 16. I think Sweet 16, if you don't get a Sweet 16, this is a disappointment for sure. Now, if they get Keisha uh, Johnson from San Diego State, is another kid transfer that USC is in the mix for, then I think maybe you're starting to look at Elite Eight uh, or bust type of thing um, because I think he fits the same role that you had for Trey White and may do it a little bit better. He plays a little bit more defense, doesn't have quite the offensive potential, but Trey White has not necessarily reached that potential yet either. So they're very, very similar players. I mentioned that in the war room a couple weeks back. Um, but, uh, you know, if he, they get him, I think he really fits what the roster needs right now as far as rebounding and defense more and that, that uh, the, the four spot for them. So that then I would possibly elevate to Elite Eight. Uh, but right now I think Sweet 16 is, is the kind of the cutoff where you expect them at least to get to Sweet 16. All right. Hold on. 
You know what that means? Moneybags uh, Manford. Moneybags Manford put a little donation in the chat. Thanks for doing that. He says, uh, I just want to say hi and fight on. Also, if possible, could I be introduced as Manford of the Manford Collective? Thank you. Instead of Moneybags. You okay with that, Chris? Manford of the Manford Collective. He can do whatever he wants yeah. with how deep his pockets run. He could, uh, he could buy <laughs> this show and call it the uh, Manford Tunnel Vision Show if he wanted to. Of course, we will refer to him as the Manford of the Manford Collective. We do have, I want to do, we have a phone call. I'm going to try to do this, jump in with this one. Uh, we have, well, I think we have two in the queue, but let me pull this one up and we'll get into the next uh, topic. Uh, can you hear us? Whoever, who, please let us know where you're calling from and what your name is. I can hear you and I'm calling from Minnesota and my name's Brandon. Hey, Brandon. And this is not about the Bronny situation here. This is more about Anquan and Traquan. Uh, uh, Fegan's uh, recruitment. So, if that's okay, I can. Ask yeah, that's that. that's a perfect segue. Thank you. Okay. Uh, well, I was wondering, do you think this could be a snowball effect for USC recruiting in SEC country? All right. Well, thanks for the call, Chris. We'll uh, let you take that one. Do you want to start? With oh, I'm taking that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, just for a little bit of context, if you're not aware and you were. I don't know, sleeping all day. You didn't realize that USC picked up, USC football picked up two commitments from the brothers Fegans. Uh, Traquan Fegan, the Alabama redshirt freshman transfer, cornerback, defensive back. He committed to USC earlier today. And then, I don't know, 30 minutes later, his youngest brother, a five-star composite safety. He is rated as the number one safety in 24-7 sports rankings for 2025. He went and committed to USC. That is Anquan Fagan. So USC with the Fagan's double dip, got a commitment in 2025 class, got some more defensive back depth for this upcoming season. So a really good two-for-one combo for Lincoln Riley and that staff. And as far as the question from Minnesota, I would say absolutely because you have someone who is from the SEC country that can host them on the visit and be like, okay, this is what, you know, how we can fit in with California. These are the things I like about California because, you know, it's hard for those guys to leave home in the end. You know, a lot of them, you know, like to be stay close to their families and, and whatnot. It seems like California kids have an easier time leaving home than, you know, guys out of the SEC country in the, in the South. So just having a little piece of home, Already in California with guys who are from the area, I think that does help. You know, obviously Bear Alexander, he's from the Texas area, from played in Florida. Obviously, it helps that you have a guy like Bookie who played at IMG, so he has some you know ties to that area as well. I'm not sure if it would be a quote unquote snowball effect, but I think it will help them get pull a couple more guys out of there that they normally wouldn't. That just just so you have you know some proof of concept saying, hey, we can we as you know Southern guys can come out here and thrive in California and you know, have everything that the West Coast has to offer for us. Yeah, pretty – oh, go ahead, Coach Shaka. I think that first he's got to get on the field and make an impact. Uh Then you can say that. Because I don't know if you remember this name, guys. Ishmael Sofsher was from Louisiana and had none of those impacts. And we thought maybe he would, also an Alabama transfer. But because he never got on the field, was only here for a year, because he could never get on the field and could not stay healthy – He's not going to have that impact. So, so Fagans has got to get on the field and make it. And now with his brother coming in, you feel like he's going to be here longer. He's obviously got yeah. the, the eligibility and stuff. But if he doesn't get on the field and for whatever reason things don't go well for him, whatever, and he decides he wants to transfer again, whatever 
and then you're not seeing the same thing. But we have seen it before. I mean, I think you can look at Caleb Williams and say, look at the impact he's had on DMV kids. You know, let's say, oh, okay, going over there. And I, even last year I was at the, the Baltimore Under Armour camp and I talked to a couple of kids and Caleb hadn't even played, hadn't done anything. But just the fact that he went to USC being from the DMV, some of the kids were like, oh, yeah, I got to, you know, I got to pay attention a little bit more just because, you know, I'm seeing, you know, I'm going to watch Caleb and see how things go because, you know, he makes that move look possible. And now I can, you know, he's someone that I can look to. So um, you know, with him having success, that makes it a lot easier too. Yeah. What a great call. Uh, thank that was like perfect segue. It was just, it was yeah. great. So thanks for that. We appreciate the uh, phone call. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of on the, the football news sort of broke, like Chris said today, one after the other um, uh, earlier today. So that was, that was pretty cool. Some good news. And uh, soon after that, they got some good news on the, the volleyball court, but I want to go into um, last week. I went to uh, the, what was it called? The Pacific Club in Newport Beach for a luncheon for the Lot Trophy. Um, they were announcing their top 42, their watch list. So the 42 players you should watch uh, for the Lot Impact Trophy. Uh, it's a, a major award where the best defensive player in the country, but also takes into account character of the player. And, uh, you know, Tuli Tuipilotu was a finalist last year. Uh, Will Anderson Jr. Uh, end up winning it from from Alabama, but USC had two players on the watch list. Uh, they had um, Kalen Bullock, the uh, safety, and then incoming uh, the transfer uh, from Oklahoma State, uh, Mason Cobb, the linebacker. So that was kind of cool. But Lincoln Riley was the featured speaker, and it was funny. Mark Sanchez was supposed to MC the event, and he apparently got ill. But uh, we did hear a lot from Lincoln Riley. I put some notes in the war room on Friday for uh, anyone that's a subscriber over at uscfootball.com. If you're not, you should definitely uh, jump in there. But some interesting things that he had said, I just wanted to I mention a couple and kind of get your thoughts. And I think this was the what maybe resonated the most with uh, the USC fans that were reading about it, what I, what I was talking about. One, he said the defensive line, you know, it looks a lot different. It's the most important position group on the team. I think a lot of people liked that he felt that. And also he said, you know, a lot of people are talking about this could be a better team. Maybe the record's not going to be as good. Maybe not 11 wins because the, the schedule's tougher. And Lincoln Riley said no one would be happy with 11 wins this year. So uh, I think he set the bar pretty high. But it was I thought it was interesting. It's cool. You know, congrats to uh, Caleb Bullock and um, – and, and Mason Cobb, hopefully they'll be able to, you know, get to be finalists for, for that award. It's cool. It's a former Trojan, you know, that, that does the award. And Lincoln Riley talked about that a lot. But I just want to kind of get your thoughts on any of that, guys. Lincoln Riley never took an excuse for last year's team that was coming out four wins. And he set the bar super high. So there was no way he was going to take that bait and say, yeah, <laughs> we were going to aim for lower wins. So I, I'm not surprised he said uh, 11 wins is no good in my book for this season with a vastly upgraded roster and a returning Heisman winner. So, yeah. Yeah. That was just sort of like 11 wins. Like we won't be happy with that. Like, Oh, okay. You know, which is, you know, would be still be a really good season. Obviously there's not a lot of 11 win seasons around, you know? Well, he also said at the end of last season, they expected that to be their worst team that they've ever had, you know, last <laughs> year. So, you know, he, he's never been one to shy away from the, expectations and the pressure. I mean, we talked about last year is opening, you know, uh, you know, his opening sound bites, basically basically being like, I'm here to win championships. And that's being like, <laughs> let's calm down. You're coming off a four win season. Your roster is not ready for that. 
even with Caleb Williams coming in. And we knew there would be some deficiencies. But I thought they've done a great job of addressing some of their deficiencies, you know, particularly on that defensive side. Um, and Fagans is another guy that adds to that because you lose Makai Blackman. Um, you lose a couple guys in the transfer portal just for depth. So him coming in, now he can challenge for that alongside, you know, opposite of Jacoby Covington. I think he's the one guy that's probably got a, lot, a spot locked up at this point. But we'll see as the competition continues. But another 6'1 cornerback length and, and whatnot. So a guy that's been in Alabama. So he's played against, you know, some dudes there, obviously, and knows, you know, about, you know, what it takes to be a championship team type of thing. So you, know, you get all those positive aspects. But I thought it was really interesting when, you know, the, the one thing that stood out to me from the words that, you know, what you wrote in the war room and a little bit we saw, he said that the defensive line is the most important position on the field. Yeah. And so that means Lincoln Riley is – and Lincoln Riley, people always go, well, he, he focuses so much on quarterback and wide receivers. He, he doesn't know if they got to win in the trenches. He knows. He knows, guys. He knows <laughs> they're going to win. And they've definitely attacked that this offseason – with multiple guys from Keon Bars and, you know, and bringing in Barry Alexander to bring in Jack Sullivan, a guy that can be a flex guy outside or inside. I think he's going to play a big part that is being overlooked a little bit because I think the biggest issue last year, they didn't have the top end talent on the interior, right? We know that. But Stanley Taufu and Tyrone Tulane, those are decent guys. Those are guys that you want in your rotation, but those can't be your starters and then have to play 90% of the snaps because you don't have depth at all. So now if you're rotating those guys in with Barry Alexander and Keon Bars, now suddenly the defensive line looks a lot better because those guys aren't gassed and having to take a couple plays off just to you know be ready for a crucial third down or whatnot. So I, I think that that's going to be an area where – they can really take a step forward because last year there just wasn't a depth. There wasn't the depth there. There wasn't the depth at linebacker. And both of those spots, when there were a couple of guys banged up, it really stood out, you know, with the missed tackles, with, you know, guys just having to play a, a ton of snaps or just a guy's having a bad day. You can't put anybody else in because you don't have anybody else. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the biggest area where they have improved this off season. They're still trying to make some additions there. Uh, but, but Fagan's, answers addresses a need that they still had which is at the cornerback spot you think sierra Wright, jacoby Covington, to mind jackson they've got some, some pieces but you know who's going to step forward and be that guy i think covington really did that last year and had a really good spring game and we've heard positive things about what he did in the spring now who's going to step up on the opposite side but then again hey if one of those guys isn't having a good day just broke up with his girlfriend grandma died whatever it may be and he's just his head's not in it do you have somebody else you can go to and that wasn't necessarily the case last year um, at, at times. So I, I think now, you know, when you're placing Makai Blackman, you just want to add that extra depth and add that competition as well in practice. Yeah. Just to jump on that a little bit more, I'm really interested to see where Fagans ends up lining up. Obviously, Dante was very happy with his double emojis or what you what have you, and he was involved in the the team or the the official visit photo with his family. So that points to cornerback but I actually wouldn't be surprised if Fagan's you know moved around a little bit and maybe learned the safety position maybe a little bit of that nickel corner kind of spot you know he's long six foot one kind of reminds me of Latrell McCutcheon who came in as a cornerback but lo and behold in the spring was working at safety and working on nickel and safety so I'm really interested to see where he sort of lines up uh moving forward it is an interesting pickup we don't know really much about him just because he did not play a snap for Alabama last season. You know, he's a redshirt freshman, went through all the spring camp with them before deciding to, okay, I'm going to seek uh, a different pasture, what have you. So 
it was really interesting. So you don't have a lot of ton of tape on him. You don't really know what he's capable of at the college level. So I'm really interested to see where he ends up lining up when he arrives. It seems like cornerback right now, but would not be shocked if it's sort of a nickel safety role. And it just seemed like USC was desperate to kind of get a safety body in, you know, because they lost out on Braxton Myers, weren't able to sign him. And he flipped to Ole Miss. Now he's at Purdue. He left after their spring. And then uh, Warren Roberson, you know, ended up going to Texas, I believe. There was some TCU going on there. They offered a another safety really late in early signing period that didn't pan out. So it just seemed like they were really desperate for another, like, long safety kind of body, six foot, six foot one. So I'm really interested to see where Fagans actually ends up playing when he gets here on campus. Yeah. Blackie Chan plays, uh, put a question up there about, about him playing nickel so thanks for addressing that um let's get into some of the other stuff that happened this weekend real quick ryan oh yeah go ahead with with fagans let's not forget this is an addition a double edition because you're not only getting him younger brother who's the top safety in the nation right now a top 10 player in the country also committed and again these kids are both from alabama so you know it's hard you know if you were just recruiting um uh is it anquan uh chris anquan, yeah anquan. yeah if you're just recruiting anquan by himself separate of this that's gonna be a tough pull you know you, you always think it's gonna be really tough to pull a five-star top 10 uh uh um, rated, rated player out of a area right down the street from auburn and alabama so to be able to get his older brother especially if his older brother can come in and have some success and start to get better you know they see the development that's really going to lead you to be able to land a top 10 player and a player that, you know, could be an impact player um, immediately when he steps on campus potentially. For sure. Uh, yeah. He's the first uh, commit for the class of 2025 for Lincoln Riley and, you know, get the number one player in the position out of sec country. That's not a bad, not a bad deal. <laughs> We're going to get to We have, I know I'm trying to star any questions that you're putting on Facebook and uh, YouTube, I'll try to start those and we'll get to those uh, later on in the show. If you do want to call in, I know we have one caller in the queue. We'll get to you in a second. Uh, and then you can also call in and queue up 512-4-TUNNEL if you want to talk uh, to talk about something. But I want to kind of talk about some of the other sports and what they're going on. Uh, so USC men's tennis made it. the So USC tweeted this out too. The men's tennis team made the Sweet 16. So they're in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the women's lacrosse team, I've got a picture up here, they uh, they won the Pac-12 championship. So congrats to the women's lacrosse team. I think they start in like five days for the NCAA tournament. So they'll be playing in that, trying to win a national championship. But I just want to say congrats to them as someone from the state of Maryland where lacrosse is big time out there. Oh. You know, got to, we're seeing the sport grow on the West Coast, and I see them practicing out on uh, what's the field, uh, the track field. That's where the lacrosse team practices all the time. So yeah. just congrats. It used to, to be them. locker. Now it's Allison Felix Field, right? Yeah. So congrats yeah. to them for making it that far. I think the men's have a club team that also plays there. But yeah, congrats to them. One of the first sports I ever covered as a young college student was women's lacrosse and women's field hockey. So yeah, just a little love to the to the non-revenue sports. Yeah. And, and congrats to Lindsey Monday, their head coach. I was there for their very first game. Uh, you know, this 11th season she's been with USC, started the program, has built it up, um, and continued to be, you know, the be one of the best teams on the West Coast every single year. Yeah, it's it funny. I thought it was newer because you said it was like 12 years, 11 years or 12 years or whatever it is. Uh, I go to uh, – I started going to F45 workouts in Hermosa Beach. And one of the people, like my first workout, the instructor asked, you know, introduces me, 
he's like, she's going to show you the ropes for the first day. And she's wearing like women lacrosse, women's USC women's lacrosse outfit, you know, like clothing and stuff. And I, when I talked to her about it and I'm like, yeah, they are the new coach. And like, well, she's been there like 12 years. I'm like, I guess it's not that new. It was a brand new sport though when they brought it in and uh, she's done a great job uh, there, obviously. Uh, but yeah, congrats to the uh, winner Troy going, uh, winning the Pac-12 championship. And then I watched this morning on ESPN, big ESPN, uh, my sport, uh, beach volleyball, volleyball, um, USC's the USC women three-peated, if you can believe that. So three championships in a row for head coach Dane Blanton. Uh, pretty impressive run. This was a complete rebuilding year, as it's supposed to be, for USC, who had won the past two championships. I think they lost six of the starting ten from last year, uh, but they kind of reworked the roster a little bit, and uh, Dane Blanton uh, doing a great job. There, they come in as the number three seed. They had just lost, I think, pretty badly to UCLA in the Pac-12 championships last week. UCLA was the number one seed. Uh, TCU was at one point the number one team in the country, and USC had to come back and beat them in the semifinals. And then they face off against UCLA, who was just won the men's volleyball national championship the day before. There, you see tweets about that. So they go out and uh, three peat. They get to jump in uh, the the Gulf of Mexico and, uh, you know, and, and go, you know, the beach down there is really pretty. I think they should be having these in Southern California, which I think they will in 2025. But uh, yeah, they do the championships in Alabama, which is weird, but all the NCAA championships have won, been won by USC or UCLA. I think UCLA's won two and USC's won five or four. Then it was five, some other five of seven, five, five of seven, seven and UCLA won the years other two. that they've had it. USC has won the national title. Which is crazy. Yeah, they won like the first two, but they had also won before it was an NCAA sport. I think Long Beach State and Pepperdine or whatever had won a couple, and then USC won, and then it became an NCAA sport, and then they won, you know, like you said, five of, of seven. But all of the teams that have won this have been from Southern California, which makes sense. It's the mecca of of uh, beach volleyball. But it was really cool. Like USC, there's it's five matches. Um so there's five teams. You have your one, two, three, four, and five, and they play two of them at once, the twos and the fours, and USC wasn't favored, I don't think, in either one of them and won them both. And then, so they only needed to win one of the next three, and they lose the next two, and then it comes down to the three team, which the Norse, uh, it's two twins, that uh, they're seniors at USC. Uh, they go out and win it in three sets. So it's pretty pretty exciting as far as, you know, if you care about volleyball, but You'd rather, see, you know, even if you don't care, you'd rather see USC win the national championship than UCLA, right? So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, so that's, but it was fun. I, that's my, the sport I like. So it was kind of fun to watch that. That was pretty cool. So pretty cool weekend for uh, USC athletics so far. That's uh, coming from a pretty big time player in the beach volleyball world. Mm, uh, not really. Brian Abraham literally played old ass volleyball dude on <laughs> uh, the CW's All Americans. So he is a credited tv star <laughs> in the beach volleyball world so yeah big but, ups to ryan but i did uh, i did our interview uh dane uh blanton uh last year so i'll have to do that again maybe i'll go down there and uh, we'll do some video like at the on the courts or something check it out uh but it's cool uh, another a new sport there and of course you'd think usc needs to be good at it but um pretty impressive to win three that's the first time any usc f- women's athletics program has won three championships in a row so pretty impressive. Uh, have, have you there. ever played with any of the uh, alumni down there when you played in Hamosa Beach? Oh yeah, a lot. So um, like uh, uh, Donnie Sucho, who's a Olympian, two-time Olympian. Like I played with him. Um, he's now the, running the over IMG Academy. He's like the 
he's running the volleyball stuff there. But yeah, a bunch of guys like uh, Brooke Billings. I, I would coach with him sometimes. He was another Olympian. A bunch of those guys. Just because you know, in the whole volleyball scene. We've played on teams together where I'm just a scrub and they're like good, you know. But is it like playing uh, pickup with the pros? It's in sort open of court? like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would film them and stuff or whatever. <laughs> but it, we have, it's been fun. And, um, you know, I help coach out in Hermosa Beach. The uh, We have a city league and my buddy runs it and I, I help coach there. And it's fun to like kind of see people come up through. But we've had uh, women from the team, from USC's volleyball team, come and help coach or alumni help coach. Dane Blanton came down uh, one night, one day, and uh, and helped for a little while. And we've had a lot of, you know, players. It's it's a smaller community, so you can get, like, Sinjin Smith or whatever, like, legends like that will come and, and talk to the students and stuff. So it's fun. It's a fun little community. Um, so I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the winner, Troy. Congratulations. It was a great uh, it was a great win there. Yeah, it was a it was a great match too. From what you said, Ryan, uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch that one, but you know, anytime it's USC UCLA, it has an extra level of pressure. And USC was playing one of their former teammates, uh, Haley Halgren. Yeah, you know, went to USC for four years. Went, I think you said she went to Michigan for a year, and then came back to Southern California to play for UCLA. And she was in that final match. So you know, this is the North Sisters versus uh, you know their former teammate and Haley Halgren. They were able to to get the win over her. So I'm sure that made it a little bit, a little bit more special there. She's but, legit. She played with the North sisters. She's won a national championship at USC. Yeah. And she Survived actually lists cancer. on her, on her UCLA bio that her greatest uh, achievement, volleyball achievement is winning a national title, which was not with UCLA. <laughs> no, it was at USC goes to Michigan, plays indoor. She has a cancer scare. Like she has half her lung removed. And then you shows in the portal. UCLA recruits her. Cause she still had, she had like a medical red shirt. And she was going to be the first woman, uh, I think, first female volleyball player to win a national championship at two different schools. But USC denied her of that. Uh, but anyway, but baseball, uh, you know, we we don't we don't, we, we can spend a lot of time on beach volleyball, but not baseball. <laughs> uh, you literally played baseball, Ryan. I know I played baseball too. Like yeah, I'm not you know whatever. I didn't play in college like uh, like shoddy, but um, yeah, big uh, weekend series win uh, without the ace going right without USC's ace. Uh, and it, I'm I'm curious what this means for like postseason, like where are they are in the postseason, but kind of talk about that a little bit, Shoddy. Yeah, we'll have a Dato download podcast this week. Uh, sorry, we didn't get one last week. Uh, I had flooding in the basement, so and Jack uh, had some uh, finals that he was dealing with, so we didn't have the timing to work it out this week. But we'll get into it a little deeper. But it's huge for their their potential chance to make the NCAA tournament. If USC can win their next two series, now that's going to be tough. Arizona State is coming off uh, of being swept. They're a really good team, but they're going to play them at home. USC has been really good at home. They already have series wins over Stanford at home, UCLA at home, Oregon at home. Those are all top 25 programs. UCLA has dropped out recently because of some injuries. But, you know, two of the top uh, programs, ASU is probably the third one. It's going to be ASU, Oregon, and Stanford. I believe that's where the standings are right now. If USC can beat them and win that series – and if they can go to Arizona in the final weekend, always a tough place to play just because the park plays really large. It plays a lot different than most of the stadiums in the Pac-12. If they can win those two series, they will get to 17 Pac-12 wins. No one in the last half decade, as far as I went back, but I think it's even longer than that, no one in a long time has had 17 wins in the Pac-12 and not made it into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I think with those wins, it'll help their RPI and put, push that up. Um, you know, we'll see tomorrow how far they bump up from this series win against Oregon. You know, they're down to 68, I believe it was, going into today after losing yesterday. 
So they'll bounce back up probably 64-ish. If they can win the last two series, they should move up probably around the 55 range, if not a little bit higher. That, I think, will be enough to get them in, which is crazy because this team just doesn't have the talent level as some of these other programs. And they've kind of, you know, they've been luckily have not been hit by the injury bug until this weekend. They had Tyler Soderstrom, who's their, you know, Friday night starter. They pushed him back to Sunday because he's having some issues with his back. And then he was a late scratch today. So they just had to piece it together. And the offense really stood up for them, uh, really stepped up. And, you know, everyone really contributed to that. And actually, the one guy who didn't do too much today was Austin Over. And he's been the, you know, he's been the fire starter for them throughout this season. has been electric. Um, and, you know, when, they, when he hasn't done well, they haven't really done well. Today, everyone else really stepped up. And USC gets a big win over Oregon, series, uh, series win over them or for the weekend. Number 17, Oregon, there's a great crowd out there for the uh, the Mexican, I think it was Mexican Heritage Night on Friday. Uh, so, you know, it's a team that you want to see. I think, you know, they're in the mix. If you get a chance, you should come out to Dado when they're playing Arizona State. I believe it's next weekend that they will play them. It's going to be a huge series for USC. And if they win that series and win the series at Arizona, they will go into the Pac-12 tournament looking like they are going to be an NCAA tournament team. Now, if they go into there. That might be it. They're right on the bubble. They're as bubble as it can be right now, but they have an opportunity to play their way in. So that's the big thing. You know, you would not expect that. And they're basically one win, maybe two wins away from having a, from locking up a winning record, which is something that is befuddled, you know, USC baseball. Besides getting into the postseason, they just haven't been able to get winning records. They finished at 500 like four or five times in the last 15 years and just a ton of losing records. I think it's three times. Since 2004, 2005, they've had winning records. I have to look it up. I don't have it right in front of me. But what Andy Stankiewicz has done has been, I wouldn't say miraculous, but it has been very, very impressive. Him and his staff has been, it's been an unmitigated success, even if they do not make the postseason this year, because of the strides they've made, despite being hired late in the process, not being able to really attack through the transfer portal like some other programs were. I think they're on an upward trajectory that's going to have this team back being one of the you know the top programs in the Pac-12 next year and then in the Big Ten when they move over there. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to a phone call. Thanks for the update there, Shadi. We'll uh, follow along with what's going on with the baseball there and look forward to the uh, Dato Download podcast. Um, all right. Let's go to – looks like we have Dave in Iowa. Dave, how's it going, man? How are you? Hi, guys. Great to be back. I got two questions, as always, Ryan, so get ready for it. First one, shotgun. What is the NBA comparison uh, for Bronny James? And two, um, for Chris, uh, in terms of going back back over with what Lincoln Riley said in terms of, yes, defensive line is the important position. I like what he said, but again, he can talk the talk. You know, give it six months, and then we'll see, we'll see what's what. But God forbid, if USC doesn't make 11 wins, Chris, are you going to be the brave one? Are you going to be the brave reporter to ask Lincoln Riley if the season was a failure, or just like that NBA reporter asked Giannis if the, if if their season was a failure? Thanks, Dave, uh, for the question. I shot it. You want to start? I don't know the exact college uh, comparison there. Uh, I, I said yesterday on the podcast, and you can listen to get you know more of the reasoning why. But I think that he could have a similar trajectory as a freshman, as DeAnthony Melton had for USC, where he comes off the bench and just becomes an instant energy guy coming in and playing defense, locking up, maybe even doing it, you know, 90 feet, 75 feet 
from the basket, you know, just being in somebody's grill the entire time. And then, you know, D'Anthony Melton wasn't a great shooter. I think Bronny is a better shooter there. Uh, he can be a spot-up shooter for USC, sit in the corner. And, you know, when Isaiah Collier or Boogie Ellis drives and draws too, you know, they can kick it out. And, you know, he could be a guy that can knock down some shots. If he can do that, that's going to be huge for USC. If him and Ozias Sellers can knock down those corner threes, that's something USC's really struggled with last year. I think that takes the offense to a whole other level. So I don't have a great one-to-one comparison, but, you know, I, I think that he can be an instant impact guy on defense. And then he can be a shooter for you. And I think he's only going to progress and get better as the season goes along. And I'm really curious to see what he's going to look like when he gets to USC because I think Bronny has done a really, really good job of progressing every single year of his high school career. You know, people look at him and go, oh, he's not a one and done. He's not this. He's not that. And no one wants to focus and pay enough attention to how much he's improved his game from year over year. And, you know, before last year, he wasn't even nowhere near the conversation of being a five-star player. And he worked his way into that and became a McDonald's All-American, partly because of the name. But he showed that he could hang in that game for sure. It wasn't like he was lost out there. Being at the Hoop Summit, same thing. It's not like he was just, a you know, a charity invite. And, hey, we don't really want to put him on the court. He was out there and playing just like everybody else. You know, he doesn't have the same, uh, you know, the high-flying sub uh, skill set that maybe his dad does. He doesn't have the six-nine tank body that his dad does but he's a much better shooter than his dad ever was coming out of high school so you know i think he's got a different style of set uh skill set and he's very very basketball iq intelligent just like his dad so he makes a lot of winning plays that maybe go unnoticed in the box score but will show up for sure for the coaches yeah and as far as my question i think it would actually be a fair question depending on how many wins they do end up going or getting in 2023 if they come short of that 11-win season because, as Lincoln Riley has established, they would not be happy with 11 wins. It definitely, definitely feels like they're putting in all their chips for this 2023 season to make a run at the college football playoff, which you have to do with a guy like Caleb Williams returning for you know what we all presume is one more season, final in the Pac-12. You went out, upload, loaded up on the offensive line and defensive line. You pretty much have no more excuses for that defensive side of the ball. It's make it or break it for Alex Grinch in that unit as they try to make that run. So I think it would be a fair question if, you know, they say they won nine games. You know, the schedule got too much. The It, it broke them down there in the end. So I think it would be a fair question. I don't know what he would say, but I would leave that to Ryan, actually. I think Yeah, I think he would <laughs> probably – loves Ryan. He would probably – no, everyone doesn't love me. He would, uh, I think he would offer that up himself, you know, like yeah. if at the end of the, you know, the end of the season, um, if, you know, if it was the final bowl game press conference or if we had some kind of Zoom later, uh, you know, and I think there would probably be like, this wasn't what we wanted. This wasn't as what was expected. Here's the reasons why, you know, Caleb Williams got hurt, whatever it is, you know, it's like there's going to be, uh, and here's, you know, I think he would give you, he would tell you that this wasn't good enough, that this wasn't what the plan was. We had planned to do whatever. Uh, and then here's some of the reasons why, and here's what we're going to do kind of going forward. So I, I don't think he, you know, that's something he wouldn't avoid. He might've just offered up himself because he said that, you know, said stuff like this multiple times. If, if they win nine games, like Chris posit, it's an unmitigated failure, unmitigated with Caleb Williams on there and the guys that they brought in unmitigated failure. Now, maybe that's because, Hey, Caleb Williams gets hurt, and then Miller Moss gets hurt. But still, it's if you only win nine games with that roster they have right now and what the strides they've made from last season, it's unmitigated failure in my mind. 
And yeah. I'm not saying they're going to win nine games. I'm just saying it's a tougher schedule, but they've put themselves in position with the talent they've acquired and building around Caleb Williams to make a run. We just don't know anything in sports. That's why you play the games. You don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, it would be a failure, but they're doing everything in their power to make sure it's not a failure with the with the guys they brought in to, to make a run in 2023. We got a lot of questions, Starred. Uh, if you're on Facebook or YouTube, you can uh... – Put your put questions there. I will try to go through these that came through. Thanks for everyone that's in the chat. Thanks for liking, subscribing, all of that. Uh, let's start off with uh, James. How big are typical uh, basketball classes? The 24-7 site shows three kids for USC committed in 2023. Is that normal? Yeah, it, it really depends. You know, in basketball, you have uh, 13 scholarships, I believe it is, 12 or 13. Uh, you're blanking on that right off the top of my head. I think it's 13. Um, but you know, you can have, and it's a lot different with the transfer portal now. You can have, if you're counting transfer portal, then you can have five, six guys, and that's not uncommon um, with the transfer portal. It's just straight high school. It's rare that you get more than three. Sometimes you get four or five. USC had the really big class with Isaiah Mobley coming in, um, and, and they had four or five guys then. But you can also have classes where you only have two guys coming in or even one guy. It just depends because there's so limited roster space that you're not losing a ton of guys every year like you would in football. Um, you know, you may lose some because of the transfer portal. But if everyone, if you just had everyone staying in their classes and graduating, then you're having at max, you're basically having three to four players per class that are coming in. So three is a pretty normal uh, amount for them to come in. Now, again, USC is going to try to add to that with the potential of a transfer, with Keisha uh, Johnson being one of the targets from San Diego State. They could also look for a high school player. And, you know, if, if that Aaron Bradshaw rumor – becomes you know becomes comes to fruition then yeah they would definitely take him and find a way to make it work there and that would make it four they would have one of the top two classes in the country i believe if that were to happen if not the top class so if three is not anything unusual yeah we had a question from joe c Uh, i've heard that grad transfers can still transfer even after the portal has closed since miller moss is graduating does this mean he can still transfer and so i know there's some confusion as far as that goes, there was a portal window that opened and it just closed uh, April 30th. That's to enter your name. Uh, there are exceptions that you could still enter the portal. That's if you're a graduate, if you have graduated, you can go into the portal whenever you want. If your head coach gets fired, I think you have 30 days to go into the portal. But for regular students that aren't graduating, uh, that they, they can't enter the portal now, there's a lot of names already in the portal. Uh, so if you're already in the portal, you can transfer whenever you want. But grad tra- transfers can still happen. That's some of the rumors about Colorado needing to still replace, you know, almost 20 guys or whatever on their roster. And looking at the guys in the portal, there's not as many big names um, like uh, a Traquan Ferguson, like someone they would, I think Dion would have loved to bring someone like that in. But there's only so many of those guys in there. And you have schools like USC trying to pick the best ones out that are, that are in there already. But you could still get grad transfers coming into the portal uh, later in the process. So, and yes, Miller Moss, I believe, graduates this month, or he's graduating, you know, in in three years. So, if he wanted to enter the portal as a grad transfer, he would be able to do that. But any thoughts you guys want to add? Yeah, in theory, he still could. Uh, I, as of right now, I don't think he is going to. But yeah, yes, I don't think so. grad transfers still have the ability. Like Joshua Jackson entered the portal before the portal actually opened for that spring that spring uh, portal window because he was a graduate transfer. So he was allowed to enter at whatever time he chose. So yes, theoretically Miller Moss can still enter, but I, as of right now, I don't think he's going to. Yeah. 
Uh, if you, there, we have a lot of questions in the queue, but if you want to jump to the front of the line, uh, Manfred, Manfred, Manfred of the Manfred Collective. Okay. Uh, says shotgun. Could you host a two-star composite next week for Chris? <laughs> Unless Hurricane needs a break, but he seemed willing on the last episode. Yeah, if you listen to the two-star composite recruiting show last week, it seemed like Gerard really wanted to do it and was like sort of auditioning names. Uh, he mentioned <laughs> he was, doing it with yeah. me. He mentioned it, you know. I, yeah, I don't know, Shadi. You... Which is interesting. Gerard's really gotten into this podcast. And normally he's, and I, I think part of it is because Chris does the work and Gerard's <laughs> not having to on, edit it. He <laughs> talks. He leaves. I spent another hour in the studio by myself. Uh, editing and he's willing to just drop you like it's just like like a bad habit just boom look i'm okay with a fellow helium boy taking my place swap one helium boy for another and an honorary cilantro boy in uh shotgun spratling so yeah if shotgun wants to take on that endeavor i don't know what that would cause with the episode because shotgun (laughs) likes to talk gerard likes to talk Mm. it might rip a hole in the space-time continuum, and they might be stuck in a time loop if they do that. So I don't know. But, yeah, that's all up to Shotgun and uh, Gerard if they want to go ahead and uh, you know take on a special uh, composite takeover. Yeah, I used to do it with Gerard, and he mentioned that like on the show. But like I would try not to talk too much about stuff. Like If I went to the opening or whatever it was, and I saw players, I would talk about it, but otherwise I just let Gerard kind of talk shotgun and him would just, there'd be a lot of talking going on. So I don't know. That might, that that might be tough. We'll see. I'm not as, as well versed in the, in, you know, all the local kids and whatnot, just because I haven't been able to get to the, out to the camps. uh, Like I normally would be able to the seven Oh seven stuff. So I haven't seen a lot of guys with my own eyes, but maybe I can watch some film uh, leading up to it. We'll see. We'll see what a Gerard schedule looks like. And maybe, maybe we'll be able to make it. I won't make any promises, but maybe we'll be able to make it uh, work. I think there could be some interesting topics that overlap in different sports, actually. You know, LeBronny and the impact that he has, even with football. I think that would be an interesting conversation to have with Gerard, too. So maybe we could do we'll a live see one. what the schedules look like. We could do a live one. I could be in the studio. You could do remote. Maybe just have Gerard <laughs> do remote. He's trying to uh, get those composite donos. Yeah. Chris would, be, Chris would be really upset if all the donations came in. He's like, not a part of chat, it. Like, not is, like his I'm bit. just gonna keep donating my own money to my own show <laughs> to get it on top. Like this is bull. This is bull. Danny had a question from YouTube. Uh, the various collectives have different focus areas, like Hall of Victory versus Tommy Group versus Victory Formation, current uh, upper class retention, transfer portal, high school, NAL education, counseling guidance. It's a it's a crazy space right now. I don't. I think they're all trying to figure all that is stuff. Is he asking out. or is he saying? That? I think he's asking. I think they're kind of moving towards different ones having different uh, specialties, if you will. I think that is the plan because obviously you don't want to be like bidding against yourself and like stepping on each other's toes. You know, it just makes more sense to okay, you guys handle transfers, we'll handle retention, and you know, we'll we'll handle I don't know receivers, whatever. You know, just. Everyone, it's it's better to have a detailed focus for people instead of like everyone just trying to. It, it's just not efficient if you're all just trying to do the same thing. So I think they're moving towards that. Yeah, uh, and, and I would also say I, I talked with uh, someone who runs a collective at another school, and uh, his advice was you really need one that's a nonprofit and one's a for profit because they just do so many different things in that in that area that you kind of need that. 
So, you know, it helps to diversify in that way. But like Ryan said, you don't want to be touching, stepping on each other's toes like, oh, we got to help pay for this guy. No, we're going to do it. No, we're or whatever it may be. So um, I, I think if you can, you know, have your own lanes and kind of diversify in that way. And then with the nonprofit versus for profit, you know, just where the donations is a different way for donations to come in and people to donate their money. Some people want to get that tax write off, whatnot. Um, that that really helps as well. So I, I think that, you know, having a couple is not actually a bad thing, you know, as long as they're not competing with each other. Yeah, there's been some consolidation. I know like mm -hmm. the basketball one came into with the House of Victory. There was similar. Um, I think they had like Will Smith is a big donor. I think he was involved in both of those. So you sort of like um, kind of, you know, do the consolidation there. So it's, it's still a space that's... Um, evolving so we'll put it that way we should just ask the manford of the manford collective yeah his uh his thoughts on that since he literally is a, a collective right entity. all on <laughs> his own uh bob mack says uh what's going on with cory foreman spelled incorrect k-o-r-e-y guys uh haven't heard much about how he is progressing we should make a rule where we're not taking Corey Foreman questions if the name is spelled incorrectly. I'll, I'll remove it because we don't see that. I'm implementing that rule on Tunnel Vision. If you spell the well, name wrong, you do not spell Corey right. As it was Corey right, that was incorrectly spelled the first name. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yes. It is not going. To, it's going to be ineligible to be asked on this show. <laughs> it's K O R E Y. People, come on, get it. Put some respect on his name and. What's going on with Corey Foreman? He's moving to a more natural, like defensive end position. He will be a rush end, a excuse me, edge rusher. Not going to be standing up as much. I mean, he could, I guess, if he still wanted to. But the implication is that he's going to be, you know, a traditional five tech, hand on the ground kind of rusher, and you know, that's more of what he played in high school. So we'll see if that has any uh, uptick in his production moving moving forward into his this will be his junior year. Yeah, or something like that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, and people are asking. It's not Will Smith, the actor. It's a different uh, Will Smith. I think it's Will Smith, the Dodgers catcher. No, different. <laughs> no, is that Will Smith? He's, he's, he's Will Smith too. Why yeah. are people asking about Will Smith? Because well, Ryan mentioned that Will Smith's one of the he's a the contributors. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I actually don't know much about. I met some of the guys that run some of the collectors or some of the money behind it, but I haven't met him, so I'm not sure uh let's pull up Steve. real quick on on bob's question i oh. think the reason why he hasn't heard much about court form is because he can't google it he's not getting the results oh, oh very good point wait does shotgun know where will smith played college ball college will break. smith the dodgers catcher yeah. played at louisville shotgun always on top of it he knows he uh knows. that's funny Steve uh, has a question from YouTube. Chris often talks about SC improving certain areas like offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, et cetera. Is it fair to assume most top tier teams improve year over year? If so, are we gaining ground or just keeping up? First of all, I don't think every team can't gain every year over year. Like everyone does, you know, get infinitely better. Like you have lsu 2019 and a huge drop off you know it's it's you kind of build that sustained success is really hard look at alabama they've been able to have a lot of success over the years losing coordinators coaches tons of draft picks and being able to bounce back and win it again is tough they haven't done the back-to-back -back much georgia just did it um so we'll see if they're do it again but i i wouldn't say every team's getting better year over year it's hard to you know you that you get you get guys really good and you lose them and you got to build them up again you know that's why it's you, really 
go ahead, ahead, Chris. No, go ahead, shotgun. It's, it's really hard to do it in college because you have guys for max three years, or I mean, a minimum three years. But, you know, so you're not going to have, you know, your elite players like Caleb Williams. USC is going to take a step back whenever Caleb Williams leaves. I don't care who the next quarterback is. It's going to be a step back because I think Caleb Williams is the best quarterback we've seen come through USC. Fair. Fair, fair. But my take on it, yes, that's why you over-recruit every year. It's, you know, we just signed two five-star linebackers in 2022. Yeah, I'm going to go out and sign two more five-star linebackers in 2023. You over-recruit. That's what these teams like Georgia and Alabama do. They over-recruit. They get they stack positions because you don't know who's going to pan out. You don't know who's going to get an injury. And when those guys leave, you have, oh, wait, two other high caliber guys or three high caliber guys. They recruited in the previous cycle ready to step up and into uh, that role. That's why Alabama's defensive line and Georgia's defensive line always just seem to have dude after dude after dude after dude because they take them, sign them, develop them for a couple years. They give them time and then they blow up for their final two years in college, you know, they do it every year. That's where USC is trying to get to where they can just keep building the roster. They stack it, they stack it, they stack it. So it's just a continuous, you know, cycle of good talent playing in their starting lineup. And then when they leave, go off to the NFL. Oh, you got two more guys back here. I can say that USC is upgraded for this team because look, the 2021 roster was bad. A lot of deficiencies. 2022, after all the, you know, recruiting and out of the portal in high school, less bad, uh, but still bad, obviously, on defense. And then this year, you know, they've upgraded everything to where now it's like, okay, the defense could be actually, like, good for this season. So it's easy for USC because they did a very bad job of recruiting in the previous uh, staff. So there was a lot of deficiencies. So it's easy for them to just grow and grow and grow. But you can't do that year after year as Ryan said you can't infinitely just keep getting better and better. So you just got to get to a point where it's stable and you can keep that cycle going. And you will have some off years. Obviously, that happens. But the goal is to just keep stacking recruiting classes so it doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, That's why recruiting never stops because you got to constantly be finding the next guy and the next guy and the next guy because you can't say, all right, well, you got Corey Foreman, you got Rajon Davis. So we're good for three years. And those guys just haven't produced yet in their first couple of years. You got to have somebody the next year and the next year, maybe somebody jumps over somebody, you know, those things happen, uh, but maybe it takes somebody a little bit longer to develop. Maybe Corey Foreman breaks out this year and, you know, you go, well, he's the number one player. He should have been playing like that the whole time. Guys take different amounts of times to develop. Sometimes there's injuries, sometimes, but you got to back it up with the next guy and the next guy in case someone's not ready, in case someone goes down with an injury. You can't just be like, well, season's over. Our quarterback went down with an injury. We just didn't, you know, prepare for the next guy. You just got to constantly be re- uh, cycling it, just like Chris said. So, you know, that's the ch- the big challenge of college football. In the pros, you lose somebody to injury. All right, well, can we make a trade? Can we go find a free agent? You can't do that in college. If you lose somebody, you're done for the year. As far as that position, you know, you, you, know, you can't add anybody mid-year. Yeah, Ohio State won a championship with their third string quarterback, but like with the transfer portal, that might be a little tougher to do now because those guys. Yeah, probably are good. yeah. Blackie Chan says, "Are we at eighty-five players right now? If not, are we still pr- pursuing uh, Taiwan Malone?" Um, I, my count is it was eighty-three until today. Now transfer in eighty-four. Um, we did an update. I updated the scholarship distribution chart over the weekend or 
heading into the weekend, going into when we did the war room. So I think there's still a spot open, uh, at least of right now. I think there's at least one spot open. Yeah. Again, we don't know if maybe there's another player that's been processed we're, we're not sure about. So that'll obviously become more clear as we you know ask around and obviously when the fall roster comes out and we'll see who is not on the roster. But I would say there's at least one spot right now. Do you spend that on a defensive tackle like Taiwan Malone, who, you know, shotgun, also a baseball player, has mm-hmm. a could be a double double boost for both teams? Or, you know, I still think you should that would be better spent on an offensive tackle for next season if you only have one spot. But, you know, Lincoln Riley and this team will find a way if they need a defensive tackle and offense and offensive lineman to open up another spot if there is another spot that is needed. Yeah. Uh, we got one from Ula Luau. Uh, how is this uh, CB group going to shape out? So pretty deep in the corners. Like, you know, um, Shotgun already mentioned uh, Jacoby Covington. Uh, big, you know, he's looks the part for sure. Christian Roland Wallace was banged up a little bit for spring football, but I think he could, you know, have that potential to be a, the Mackay Blackman for, for this season. I mean, you mentioned Sierra Wright, Damati Jackson, uh, They're you know. four deep, as you just mentioned with yeah. those guys. Those are four guys who are capable of starting. You know, Damani maybe at the bottom of that just because he's so uh, young as a as a true sophomore and you know didn't get a ton of playing time last year. Still shaking off that rust. But as far as his ceiling, it's blows everyone out of the water just with all his five star attributes. But you know, between Sierra who take who took a jump this year after you know starting last year, and then Jacoby Covington who had a really really good spring a camp and a spring game with those two interceptions, you know, he's on pace, you know, push for a starting spot as lo- as well as Sierra, but also Christian Roller Wallace. They didn't, they didn't bring a four year starter to come in there and sit on the bench. Uh, so the competition's pretty fierce in that room. So they're pretty solid with the depth. And, you know, as I said, four deep and they still have some bodies in there to play around with. It was a complete 180 from last season's uh, spring camp where they had like three healthy scholarship cornerbacks at one point. So, they're in a lot better position. How it's going to play out, I think the competition is still ongoing. I can't really say one or the other. I mean, Christian Wallace, we still haven't really seen what he's going to be able to to bring to the table. But I really like Jacoby Cummington right now. I really like Sierra Wright right now. But Christian Wallace, obviously a veteran and experienced player. We'll have to see in the fall how that actually shakes out. But they're in a good spot with the competition yeah. and the guys they have coming back. I think so. Uh, next up, we got, this is a Facebook question. If you're on the Facebook chat and you want to have a question, we'd love to put it in there. Uh, Mike Rust says traveling from Oregon for a couple games this year. What's a good hotel to stay close to the Coliseum. So there's the USC hotel, right? That's where the Radisson. I think, I think it's now, is it the USC hotel? Is it called that now? I mean, it was always the Radisson. That's where, you know, a lot of coaches would stay, you know, Monty Kiffin basically lived there. Brendan Sosna lived there while he was there. So you you might, you randomly might see someone from administration or the coaching staff. If you and McKay's there. restaurant, which is cool. A lot of good memorabilia down there. I don't know a lot of places. I mean, I would probably recommend, I, mean, I always recommend just staying at the beach. Like uh, the players stay at the West drift in Manhattan beach, uh, like on game night, you know, so that could be a cool spot. Uh, but anywhere around like downtown LA, you know, you could somewhere down there, like the risk live, the- like, yeah. Uh, the, what is it? What's the other one? It begins with a B. It's a kind of a fancy one downtown. I forget. I know which one you're talking about, but you can bon also Adventure. stay at the Bonaventure. 
You can also stay at the uh, the Cecil Hotel, the Haunted Hotel. Um, oh. You know, it's not not too far uh, from down from the Coliseum in downtown. But you know, hopefully, you don't end up in a water tank like that one girl. But you know, oh no, <laughs> I I miss I misheard the question. I thought he was saying he's going to Oregon for games, and if we had Oregon hotel recommendations, no. but for as far if in terms of what I interpreted the question as. Don't stay at that Airbnb we stayed in for Oregon State. That is all I can say. <laughs> that was bad. We only had to hop the fence a couple times. We only had to hop the fence a couple times. We got locked out of one of our bedrooms. Uh, yeah, so uh, – and it was literally like – I don't know how to describe it. It was literally three rooms. That was it, stacked on top of each other. It was very – it was interesting. It was stairs and three rooms. That was all it was. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting, but uh, would not recommend. No. Yeah, uh, Ruben, Ruben had a great uh, uh, recommendation. Downtown LA, take the metro to the game, uh, the Bonaventure, the Biltmore. Same thing, you can go to Santa Monica, just look for the rail line and somewhere near the rail line. I think that's a great way to go. Culver uh, City, too, get, I think. Culver City is yeah. very nice. Yeah. yeah. You get in and out, especially if you're in you know, Culver City, is one of the spots I usually go and see friends every time I'm in LA. If you can catch a spot where it's near the, you know, near the metro and near some stuff to go out the night before, some good spots, yeah, you're right in there. Yeah. Uh, Blackie Chan says, do you think George Klyovkov will be upset? That's the Pac-12 commissioner with USC winning the Pac-12 before leaving the Pac-12. Be honest. LOL. And it's funny. I talked to someone that works at the Pac-12 and from what they were telling me, they definitely feel like they're going to treat USC and UCLA like they're members until they're not. And I think they would embrace, you know, if USC can make the playoff, I think they would embrace that sort of on the way out as look at something to build on. Would they rather someone else? Would they rather Oregon the team or Washington? To do that? Yes. As long as they're a team that's going to make the playoffs? Yes, they were like, because there's a lot of money that comes with making the playoffs, guys. Yeah. Uh, he also wanted to know, do you think that the House of Victory would be more successful than past uh, NIL groups and any reason why Reggie isn't a part of it? it seems I, like they have the momentum. I've been impressed with what they're doing. Um, they were well represented at the lot uh, trophy um, luncheon, um, people that were on the board there. So it seems like, you know, there's not a partnership because the NCAA kind of stopped that, but there's some sort of synergy between the groups. Lincoln Riley seems, uh, you know, on board. They seem to be doing pretty well. I don't know how much of the money is getting funneled to any of these transfers or players or whatever, but it doesn't seem to be any kind of roadblocks, at least right now, or less of it. USC has definitely been behind the curve as far as NIL stuff goes. But it seems I've been impressed with the people I've talked to that are involved in House of Victory. So I think it's positive. I don't – I mean, Reggie works in sports media. I don't know. That might be kind of weird for him to be involved, but I don't know if you, what you guys think. But It's not like Matt's liner is, you know, the front and center person uh, of collectivism or something. He might be behind the scenes or whatnot, but – you know, it's kind of an interesting dynamic if you're helping one school and then you're going to talk to UCLA from before their game or whatever. Like that's might be cause some friction. So media, you kind of just we got to stay out of it. That's not our place. Yeah. Uh, let's. Will you guys speak on the Dylan Raiola um, situation? Is it game over for USC? I think I had a. I'm tired of talking about Dylan Raiola. Okay. It's just every <laughs> every other week, it's like the crystal ball flips and back. Oh, here I got a. There's back. a photo of him. Goes big in back. It's like a ping pong ball, just going back and forth, back and forth. Whatever happens is going to happen. You know, Lincoln Riley's not worried about a quarterback. He's the 
greatest quarterback coach in football right now. He will figure it out. And if you're a quarterback, you don't want to play for Lincoln Riley, that's fine. He'll go and get another quarterback and make him really good. So if, it, if they don't get Dylan Riley, they're not going to sweat about it. They're just going to go on to the next one. Do not worry about quarterback recruiting with Lincoln Riley. And if he ends up coming, you know, number one prospect in the country, that's great. And USC's 2024 class will get a super big momentum push because of it. But I think they'll be all right, regardless of what happens with uh, how the Dylan Rayola situation uh, uh, plays out. And I say that now and probably next week he'll get a crystal ball back to USC. (laughs) Fair point there. Uh, we got a couple more and a shotgun might have a few, but. Zombie says, when will USC get locker room upgrades? We don't know. I, I don't get to use it, so I don't really care that much, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's definitely talk about facility upgrades. We haven't had any sort of concrete plans or anything yet. I think there's stuff being worked on behind the scenes. Uh, that's probably a fair way to put it. And then uh, the last one I starred... This is from R. Willis, 916. Who's the number one receiver next year? Singer, Rice? Who do you guys think? I would say Singer is my early favorite, followed by Brendan Rice after that, and maybe Taj Washington in that group. Wow. Forgetting about Mario Williams? Yeah, Mario Williams is going to be my answer, actually. So I think he's the guy. He's got that uh, rapport with Caleb Williams. I think he takes a step forward this year. You know, a little bit more focus, not dropping any balls. He's got the the dynamic uh, dynamicism to to be a, a a guy that you can use all over the place. So uh, I think that you know, but there's there's so many options, and they can do different things. And we didn't even mention Zachariah Branch, and he's the guy I want to see the most. Yeah, nice. Uh, did was there any other ones that you looked at shotgun you want to do? Or we we've gone. It's been a long show, but if there's. <laughs> uh, any- I, I thought that this was interesting. Uh, Blackie Chan has, has asked several quite great questions. Thanks uh, so much for contributing. Um, and make sure you guys are also hitting that like button down there to like, subscribe, all those things. Um, but he said, you know, this was very early in the show. He said, do you think Lincoln Riley is finally getting his groove with recruiting the USC? Now, I think USC's done pretty well recruiting, but they have missed out on some big name guys and some big targets. Does it seem like, Things are kind of progressing, and maybe Chris can answer this better than any of us since he's so in the weeds with it. But also, Ryan, maybe you can talk about the the potential of how the collectives are helping with that too. But it does, to me, seem like the recruiting is rolling a little bit stronger now than it has in the past. It helps that, obviously, USC has put up some proof of concept with what Mm -hmm. they're doing at USC and Lincoln Riley. Obviously, it was a little bit of a slog, you know, recruiting based on faith of what they were going to do last season. And now, you know, you won a Heisman, won 11 games. You were a win away from the college football playoff after taking with a four win team the year before. So, you know, you're seeing what USC is capable of under Lincoln Riley. So, you know, kids are seeing that they're seeing, Hey, this is what they've done. This is not like them talking about what they can do. They did this in year one. Imagine what they can do in year four, year three or whatever. So, yeah, they have more momentum when it comes to that. And obviously, they're showing that they're the kings of the transfer portal. So that's still rolling along. And it does seem like high school recruiting is, you know, stabilizing a little bit. And they're, you know, they still have some misses, obviously. Any any team will. But it seems like they're getting more hits than uh, strikeouts. Yeah, I would agree. And I think on the 
the NIL front, USC was sort of scrambling a little bit and, you know, Boulevard for whatever reason, like the, it just wasn't working. And I think that certainly, you know, hurt them. But what we've heard Riley speak about it, um, that just like, this is the way college football recruiting works now. It's not a luxury. It's a necessity. And I didn't feel like he felt that this was something that was holding him back anymore. Where before you kind of felt like there was some of that too. So I think some of the behind the scenes stuff is coming together, which is good. Uh, and you're seeing results, um, which is good. But the transfers, I think maybe are a little bit bigger than maybe even Lincoln Riley thought they would be. Um, when you talk to people that work in the business, it's a different entity. You're recruiting a guy for a couple of weeks versus a year and a half or two years and they could change their mind at the last second and then, or they get there and transfer out. So there's definitely, you know, I think it, I'm surprised as how much transfers are still involved, but you know, it, it might switch. It's probably gonna switch more and more to high school stuff, but there's benefits to getting transfers in as opposed to getting high school players. I mean, proven players, but the recruiting process and all that is, is different it's too. It's just easier because you have to spend what a week, worth of energy and resources in recruiting a transfer guy as opposed to what two and a half years and a year <laughs> cycle to recruit a high school kid who might just go to the highest bid or somewhere else so it d transfer recruiting is definitely easier less time consuming and it takes less resources to go out and already get an established kind of player depending on obviously who that player is than than high school so it's easier and less of a headache than high school right now given the nil landscape yeah, and Blackie also, Chan says, "Oh, sorry. Oh, do you want to also with transfers? You usually have a better idea if they're ready to contribute right away. You yeah. know, speed of game. They've already gotten used to that. You've got some tape on them. Um, all those type of things make transfers that much more attractive to coaches too. Yeah, you actually had some mist in the portal too, where guys that weren't, you know, like you mentioned, Ismail Softshore or you know Ethan White coming in having an injury. Like sometimes that happens too. You just don't, you know. But I think he's done a really good job. Like not just bringing in." great players and some guys are just depth, but a lot of them are starters. And then also good chemistry guys. Like it hasn't upset the, you know, we've heard so many bad chemistry stories of these teams over the years. We're not hearing that anymore with Lincoln Riley. Blackie Chan also says, take it or leave it. USC will have a top 40 defense this year. Oh God. I'm going to take it. I'll go for it. I'll take it. Why not? Yeah. I think they have depth. The depth is so so huge because when you have an injury to Eric Gentry and you have broken hands to Shane Lee and Raylan Goforth, you actually have somebody else you can put in there. Yeah. Sure, I'll take it too. Nice. Let's just, We're let's just keep it, it uh let's just keep it three for three. All nice. right, now I'm leaving it because Chris took it. Fair enough. Uh all right, let's go complete rapid fire. One or two yeah. quite uh, one or two sentences at max. Um, Andrew, want to know who's the most animated defense player you guys witnessed during spring? Is the answer Eric Gentry? That's my my question to you guys. Kind of hard because I didn't see him a lot, but the answer would be Eric Gentry if he was healthy. Agree. He didn't even play, so that's a, it's interesting. Uh, Danny had a question for me. Does Austin Overarm focus on baseball and quit football? That seems like that's going to be the plan. You know, the football thing is a great story, but it sounds like you know, he's just doing so well on the baseball side that. Uh, I think he's already kind of – his parents have really said that on Twitter a couple of times, so I think that's going to be the play there. Um, Leonard want to know, who are your most improved players from the spring? I want to say from last season or, you know, last year at this time to where you saw them at the end of the spring, who kind of stood out uh, the most to you? Jacoby Covington obviously has had a really strong spring camp. I've talked about him before. 
you know, he was starting to figure it out at the end of the last year, and I think he's made a really big jump for this season. So I would say Jacoby Covington. I would up there. I mean, Brendan Rice year over year. Uh, I think he's improved, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, Covington on the defensive side. I mean, and guys like, I mean, I like the way Sierra, Sierra Wright's come along on the defensive backfield too. You know, just from you know what we saw from last year. Um, so it's hard. We didn't get to watch all the spring practice and stuff, but just from kind of what you've seen in the spring game and for, you know where they're caught, you know, guys are getting first team reps. Those are a couple of guys I would mention. I would throw out uh, if we're going to say for maybe from last year to this year, maybe even last spring to this year, um, Gino Quinones being an actual depth piece for them that could potentially start and fill in like he did a couple games. You know, I would not have expected that last spring when Lincoln Riley arrived type of thing. So that's yeah. an extra one for you guys. Uh, Ruben had a couple uh, had a question. He said, Andy Stankowitz, Stankowitz is how he wrote it, but we'll forgive you, Ruben. This is a difficult name to spell. Uh, Andy Stankowitz is doing an incredible job with the baseball team. Watch the Chargers come back and beat the Bruins, six to five. It was a lot of fun. How does Stank do it with a lack of talent? And I've said this, you know, I, they just don't have a ton of talent right now, but everyone knows their role and they do the little things they don't beat themselves. In college baseball, it's so much about just don't beat yourself because, you know, you make a couple errors and suddenly, and things snowball on you. It happens so much. You know, can you fill the bunt? Can you move a guy over? All the small things really matter in college baseball. Uh, now, some teams, the LSU's of the world, the Tennessee last year, can just maul you with their talent. But LSU does not play great baseball, and that's why they lost their first series this weekend against Auburn as a team that is not that great this season. So, you know, that that's the big key is they they do the they do the little things, they do the right things, and that's been something that's been really uh, an eye-opener and fun to watch because, you know, it makes the play that much more interesting and exciting to watch. And Tim said, I'll be there for – he was referring to the ASU series for baseball. I can't wait to be at Dato again. They are 8-0 this season when Tim's at the games. He wow. said Andy Stankowitz should pay him. I don't know if that. I don't know if there's a collective out there for you, Tim. But you know, maybe a maybe a Manford from the Manford Collective could uh, could throw something in for you. Not sure. Uh, and a couple last ones. Uh, Herman or Herman said, you know, do we have enough on the defensive side of the ball to get to the Natty, meaning USC? I don't know about Chris's defense. I might take Gerard, but I don't think we have enough to get to the Natty. No, I mean, I think and there's been some uh, talk in the chat about this. Like a top 40 defense, I think you're going to win the Pac-12. Like you're, the offense is going to be good enough, and that means you're going to go to the – you're likely to go to the playoff. So I feel like if you we, – we all feel it's going to be a top 40 defense. I feel like they're – I don't know about winning a national championship, but I think they have enough – there'll be enough defense to make the playoff, which yeah. is a big accomplishment. I agree. Yeah. And then uh, two final questions. We'll put them together. Uh, someone asked, is Relique Brown going to be a running back or receiver? And then R. Willis also asked, any news on the running back room as far as a clear starter? Are they going to do a running back one-two punch like Reggie and Lindell back in the day? I could see it being even more, but I also thought that last year coming in, I thought that you would see a little bit more rotation, and then it became – it was one-two to begin with, and then it became just one. Um, and the, at the end of the season, it became a different one. Um, so, you know, the the running back room, I think that's a very interesting. I don't know what you guys think about where it is and if it's going to be a one-two, it's going to be a workhorse. How do you see it playing out right now? I think it's a one-two to start, and then whoever grabs it and is just playing the best is going to be the guy like Travis Dye did last season. So I think they'll just, you know, split it between uh, Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones, the two veterans. Older guys, let them duke it out and whoever establishes himself and just 
takes the job will be the be the guy. And I think really Brown is going to play both. I think they're going to move him back and forth. He's obviously a very stacked uh, running back room, and you want to get the ball in his hands. He's good enough athlete to be a wide receiver, so I think we're going to see him do both, line up in the backfield, line up in the slot. So I think he'll just be like a overall just offensive weapon. Yeah, and I love what we saw from Quentin Joyner and Marion Peterson. Like, they looked really good. That could be a little thunder and lightning duo just themselves. And, uh, yeah, for Brown, too, and I, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but from Riley's comments, it sounded like his, you know, he was banged up a little bit, and that's part of the reason why he only played receiver uh, in the spring. So I, I agree with Chris. I think you're going to kind of play him all over the place. Just get the ball in his hand somewhere, you know, just an open, you know, get him the ball open space and let him do some fun stuff. Um, but, yeah. I, I think it's just interesting because now you have three of those guys, if you count Relique, um, that are slot guys that you just like, if we get the ball in their hands and let them do work. Um, you know, you got Mario Williams, you saw, you know, he can make people miss. Um, Taj Washington could even do that too, but you got Mario Williams, now Zachariah Branch, Amberly Brown are guys that can give you that home run uh, threat with a screen, with, you know, a quick game, with something short, uh, just because they can make a guy miss and accelerate and take off. So how do you use those guys? Because they kind of all fit that same mold of, oh, that shifty slot receiver that we want to get the ball in their hands, in my opinion. Now, how do you use them? Can you use them all at the same time? Or is that is that now become the depth chart of that one position, per se? Um, you know, what can you do besides that to get yourself on the field? So I think that'll be, you know, that might be part of how Relique Brown, you know, is, you know, is he doing enough as a running back to then get himself on the field as a slot receiver as well? Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should probably wrap things up here. Hour and a half. Good stuff. I think we had like 400 people in the YouTube room chat live. That's pretty cool. Thank you so much for everyone that did that. And uh, Manford of the Manford Collective, thanks for your uh, super chat donations. Those are really cool. Um, Always fun to do that. Chris, do we want to do a pose? Or is that just for the... We could do like the the eyes, ears, like the the monkey thing, like where like one of us covers eyes, one covers mouth, one covers ears. I don't uh, dibs on eyes because I don't want to see it. Okay, uh, Shaka, you do ears because you don't have headphones on, so I'll do mouth. All right, so what have I gotten myself into? Perfect, I like it. Uh, uh, we didn't we didn't mention Ryan. The the men's tennis team also made it to the Sweet Sixteen. He did so mention that. that. I mentioned oh, it. He did mention. Oh, sorry, that. my bad. That's okay. I don't That's know good. if you know, but uh, the beach volleyball team won their fifth national title in seven years. Yeah. National championship number 135 for USC. Wow. That's impressive. Uh, very cool. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. We'll try to do some more television, especially if there's a big news weekend like we've had this weekend with all the uh, championship stuff going on and the, the recruits and things like that. And we do appreciate everyone tuning in live if you're watching on a replay. That's great, too. Or if you're listening in the podcast version that we put up later on, uh, that's awesome as well. Check out uscfootball.com. For all of our content, for Chris Trevino, Shotgun Spratling, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time.